This is Keep It 100, a podcast from Spotswood Creative that is designed to keep it real and honest about worship practices in the 21st century. We want to help you work through those issues like choosing worship songs, leading as a volunteer, worship stereotypes, worship conflicts, and figuring out if the theology is right in the song you just love or if you should just put it away. Well, what is up, Josh? Not a whole lot. Trying to get my life together here. Amen. Uh, I know. It's been a week. Mm-hmm. It's been a good week, <laughs> but it's been a very busy week. Uh, but we're excited to be back here with you guys um, to talk about, uh, really, I guess it's our our first real topic. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've yes, we've talked for the last four episodes about what Spotswood Creative is, but we're actually diving into this week, I should say this week, this episode, we're diving into an actual topic. So the first topic um, that we're going to dive into is Worship War One. Worship War One. So this Worship War, um, I, through my studies, I've kind of found that there are three major worship wars, and we're going to discuss all three of them. But today we're talking about Worship War One, which is the contemporary worship versus traditional worship deal. A lot of people think that it's gone that 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 worship war's over why are we still talking about it but for many churches it's not so that's what we're going to dive into so can you explain a little bit about what a worship war is anything uh, for me a worship war is anything that divides people in the church as it as it relates to worship music style or worship music theology or worship theology so that's when I'm talking about a worship war, it's anything that divides people into different groups and they argue over it. Yep. Yep. So it makes sense. War. Yes. So um <laughs> yes, <laughs> war. Dun dun dun. War. Yes. Um so why is it important that we understand this worship war? Well, I think if we don't know what divides us, then how do we know how to not be divided? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I put in this in the notes because it's not it, it like we we often think that it's us versus them and a lot mm-hmm. of different things. But in the church, if we're us versus them under one roof, how are how are we going to be able to take the gospel to somebody mm-hmm. if we're divided over tertiary issues? Yeah. Yeah. So um, this worship war and every worship war wants to divide the church, not unite it not united. So it's important that we understand what's going on. So Bailey, this is where the bulk of our discussion is going to come in today. What was it like for you growing up in a church that only had one worship style and never really, never really dealt with a war like this before? What was it like? Yeah. So if this is your first time listening, a little bit about me is my dad, which if it's not your first time listening, you have heard about my dad every single episode. This is true. My dad um, is a worship pastor, was a worship pastor as I was growing up. Um, So I grew up essentially in one church um, until I was about 14, and then we moved to a new church. Um, Both similar churches, though, similar worship styles. Um, My dad always did what was then contemporary worship music. Um, We had a choir. So, but not like a choir that held the hymnals and 
saying like right. maybe a lot of traditional churches did. Like my dad, if you know anything about Brooklyn Tabernacle, that was his favorite. Like that was his favorite music. So we, it, when we sang a choir special, it was always Brooklyn Tab. Mm-hmm. Um, I still know every single word to all of our Brooklyn Tab <laughs> songs that we did. And um, I loved it. And um, it, our worship music, we used a praise team. And so there was about six of us on the stage. And I mean, sixth grade Bailey was up there singing um, from the time she was old enough to. So um, we were doing a lot of, I mean, like Chris Tomlin, I guess Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, you could name off any of those early 2000s worship songs, and I would be able to just sing them immediately. So basically, so contemporary contemporary worship style. Yeah, contemporary worship style. Um, and then even now at the church that he is a pastor at, they do very similar things to what Spotswood does in their contemporary service. So sure. I've always known contemporary worship music, um, and it's kind of a joke one time when we were at the beach, you know, we still went to church even when we were on vacation. And so we went to this church um, in Myrtle Beach and they opened with the doxology. And I leaned over to my sister. I was probably maybe like fifth grade pushing, like going into middle school. And I leaned over to my sister and I was like, I've like, what is the song? I've never heard this before. And she was like, it's the doxology. And I was like, I have, what does that mean? Like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's just kind of, it's a joke now. And some people would probably be appalled by that, but it's because I never sang those songs. Like I never sang right. hymns. And so um, it's a joke now. My parents still joke. They're like, oh, the doxology. Like, you remember that song? And I was <laughs> like, okay, I, I know now. Um, but Growing up in that environment, like I said, I didn't know anything else. So um, my dad was also very good, and I feel like still is very good, about separating what can be hard about ministry and, like, the really ugly parts about um, what the church can be because we're human. Yes. And so I had a very... I wouldn't say romanticized view of worship. I had a very pure view of what worship was. Sure. Um, And I'm thankful for that because I know that churches who transition from a traditional style to a contemporary style or who are merging the two, that is something that divides the church. And that is something that is very, um, it can be very ugly. So, yeah, I'm really thankful for that, for him as a leader and the people in our church who were just excited to be worshiping um, and that those two styles were not something that necessarily divided us. And I, sure. I think that um, I can just remember like us having a choir and that was something that people were excited to do was come to choir practice and to get there on Sunday mornings and to sing. And um, it wasn't just like we were standing there like stiff and, you know, like mannequins singing, sure. but it was like, no, we were all up there worshiping as a body. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I think. And when I think of choir, I think, um, when people relate a choir back to a traditional worship style, it's a little bit more like, um, tight knit maybe. And like, um, which is not bad, but that's not what my upbringing was with a choir. So, um, I do think it's very interesting to compare the two now. And obviously as I like went through high school and college, I had a more up close and personal view 
of traditional worship styles. Sure. So it was definitely a growing experience for me. Um, and being able to see that worship is still valid, even though it's something that may not appeal to me, I can still worship through those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think, um, it's, it's also a very important, and you kind of touched on it, um, with a little bit of a backstory yesterday, um, the president of Gateway Seminary was here on campus, um, uh, going over some of the concepts from his new book. Uh, um, and the, the book itself is about, you know, taking your ministry through change, leading them through change. And um, what Dr. Orge uh, hit on is probably something that your dad, as, a, as an excellent leader, does naturally. Yeah. Um, he didn't just make... He probably, because you were probably young at some of these places, he probably dealt with some stuff. Oh, I'm sure he did. And um, But the problem is, or I shouldn't say the problem, is the, the, the reason it was handled so well and the reason you didn't get touched by it was because he cared for the people mm-hmm. that he butted heads with. It yeah. wasn't just, I'm going to change it and you need to get over it. Yeah. Or I'm going to do what I want to do and you just need to get over it. It was, well, it, he probably, because I, I, I know Bill Tyler, I, he... He's not a brute, you right. know, like he, he's going to care. He's going to lead the people to mm-hmm. the change that needs to happen, Yeah, but he's going to care about the person that differs from him mm-hmm. more than he cares about the change he wants to see because yeah. he wants to bring them through that change. So I, I imagine that one of the reasons you didn't, you didn't get hit by the nasty stuff is because your dad's just a good leader. Yeah. Well, and something I do remember that is that now I view as beautiful at the time I just viewed it as normal um where our church was located it was in a very diverse community um and there were people on our worship team in our choir that did not look like me sure and something that we did and we're able to do and I'm thankful we were able to do is welcome that diversity and introduce that to our congregation Mm -hmm. because there are styles that I cannot, (laughs) I cannot sing. I cannot do justice. And so, um, I'm thankful that that, that diversity was naturally welcomed and that, Mm. um, dad had the opportunity to welcome that. And I can still remember those people who he was able to welcome in and, um, who were such an asset to our ministry. Mm -hmm. So the reason I want I wanted Bailey to talk about that was to number one recognize that there are people um, that did grow up in situations where this is not a thing mm. that were a worship war so to speak the, at least the contemporary versus traditional worship war uh, is is not a big deal um, and I think that those people are probably more prevalent today than they ever have been. Um, and that, that's not a, that's not a, Ooh, Bailey's better because she hadn't gone through that or, and it's not a, that's not a, Oh, you're better because you have survived Mm -hmm. a worship war. That's not one of those things. It's just, it's important that as we, as we talk about the worship war, we understand the population that we're dealing with is not just people that fall on the contemporary side or the traditional side. There, there are people that don't even know there's a side. Yeah. That's really, really important. Um, uh, so real quick before we go to the next question, Bailey, uh, uh, it, if you could describe to me what contemporary worship is, 
I know that's not on the page, mm-hmm. but it was previously on the page before my notes got deleted. <laughs> does, does, describe to me what it what it is instrumentally, vocally, uh, theologically, all the things. If you can do that in like two minutes, how would you describe it to somebody who's mm-hmm. never seen it before? Mm. Yeah, put you on the spot. I would say, well, and this is kind of a joke, but it's kind of not. Contemporary worship music is very similar and very simple. Yeah. Um, musically. Uh, you're going to see a lot of the same chord structures, mm-hmm. um, and that's because that's easy for a congregation to learn. Yep. Also with a contemporary worship style, it tends to be more... Now, no one take this the wrong way when I say this, but it tends to be a little bit more welcoming to people who are not familiar with religion. Sure. Um, because yeah. it sounds a lot like, as musically, it sounds a lot like maybe what they listen to on the radio. Sure. Or it lends itself to that. Um, it It's probably not as much what they think of when they think of church. Sure. Um, maybe more so today, but like when I was growing up, no, it was like this new wave of like music that people were learning and listening to and um, felt a little bit more, quote unquote, normal to them. Sure. You know, and so there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of repetition. Mm. Um, again, it lends itself to being picked up on congregationally. Um, and that's something we joke about a lot. <laughs> Two is that yeah there are memes that go around there about are it. memes about it I mean what is it um I mean I don't know that I think of like the blessing and yeah. your children and their children and their children and their children <laughs> it's like a joke but that is that is a song that like once you hear it once you can't get it out of your head oh absolutely and I think that's something that's like really awesome about contemporary worship music there, there's also a, a running joke out there um one of the one of my favorite Instagram accounts to follow is Rogue Worship Leader, mm-hmm. and um and he put a meme up this past week about you know how the uh, worship worship pastor will even though the bridge is only supposed to be sung like twice <laughs> he'll sing it he he'll sing it a hundred times yeah. and um and they'll just keep cycling it over and over and over and over again so so contemporary worship does tend to lend itself to repetition but it's for the benefit of someone who may not know anything about worship and repetitions good for that person because it's easy yeah something i learned in marching band is who the my instructor he looked at me and he was like repetition is learning repetition is learning yeah repetition is learning (laughs) and it was always a joke but i never forgot it i can still hear it in his voice and it's the same thing it's like you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are. Yeah. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who right. I am. And it's it's something that someone never forgets. Now, now can that get a little old sometimes? Well, uh, well yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can. But I, I would also say, you know, I, I've never learned. I remember being in elementary school and learning my times tables and getting so angry at my parents for making me sit down and mm-hmm. do that. But you know what I know now, <laughs> you know, 25 years later, I know my times tables. <laughs> so all these things that you're repeating over and over and over and over again in contemporary worship, you know what? In 25 years, you're going to remember that he's a good, good father and yeah. that you're loved by him. Yeah. Because right now you're repeating it over and over and over again. You may think that you're beyond that, but we're human. We're not beyond that. Yeah. Um, so flip the coin. Flip the coin. Let's go to traditional worship. Now, this one, um, 
This one I probably know a little bit more about. So, Bailey, I'll let you ask the questions. Yeah. Um, so, on the opposite end, what was it like for you growing up in a church that actually had to make a transition from traditional worship only to contemporary worship and traditional worship? So, so basically, a little backstory. I grew up at a church uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, Taylor's First Baptist Church. Um, and uh, when I was a kid from age... Well, age zero, all the way to, uh, I think I was 15 or 16. All I knew was traditional worship. Like, the even the youth group stuff, mm-hmm. it, was, it, it was sort of contemporary. There's a new album that came out from Elevation Worship called Old Church Basement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, that style of music that is very unplugged, it was just like an acoustic guitar and us singing Shout to the Lord. Mm-hmm. That was it. You know, it, it and it was those kinds of songs. Um, it wasn't, and I knew it's like I knew in my brain that's just for student ministry. That's just what we do in there. Mm-hmm. It was almost like songs you learn at VBS. You only do them at VBS. Yeah, which now bothers me when you only do songs at VBS that uh, you know that kids aren't learning what they're actually going to be doing in an actual service. But um, so I, all I knew was traditional worship. I knew the choir with the robes. Taylor's always had this just killer choir with you know, 75 to 100 voices in it. Uh, Lindsay O'Rear, uh, I mean, just an incredible voice, an incredible musical leader, incredible worship leader. And, um, you know, I, I remember, and you're going to hear that word come up a lot, I remember all the words to all those hymns. Like Bailey and my wife Hannah joke around with me every Sunday because I'm like, how do you not know um, come Christians join to sing. How do you not know Holy, Holy, Holy? How do you not know the doxology? You know, like y'all, you don't even understand when we sing in our traditional service, it is like a joke of me walking in and I'm like, I know one of these today. So we go sit down and teach Bailey the hymns. <laughs> so we could teach them to her. But, but I was, I, it was like, it was ingrained in me mm-hmm. and those melodies, those melodies that, which are beautiful, all of them are beautiful melodies. Sometimes they're difficult melodies, but they're beautiful melodies they're ingrained in my head and the words that go with them are just mm-hmm. permanently burned in my head. So is essentially one similarity you have between contemporary and traditional is they both have their method to get people to learn. Yeah. Um, and neither method is, is better than the other. I don't yeah. think. Um, so this guy came into uh, Taylor's first Baptist when I was like 15 or 16 years old. Um, his name was LaVon Gray. Um, he was, a, a wor- our worship pastor for a while. Then he ended up at first Baptist Jackson and then he ended up at Liberty and then he started consulting all over the country, just a incredible worship leader. But he came in and he was probably a traditional leaning guy, but he also understood the importance of contemporary worship to evangelism and missional mm-hmm. church. Um, so he started transitioning us. And I remember when we like, I don't know if we had a vote, but they like ask us our opinions. I don't yeah. think we ever really had a vote. And I, <laughs> I told them I didn't want to go to, to contemporary worship. Mm. I voted against it. I mm-hmm. said I, I was against it. Um, and LaVon, being a smart leader, knew that I was a singer in my school choir. Uh, brought on the, He brought on a guy named Mark Brown. Mark Brown uh, put me on the, on the vocal team because they knew I was a young person that just wasn't really mm-hmm. big on it, but I was a singer. So he's like, well a way to get somebody to change their mind is to give them the opportunity to be a part. Right. Mm-hmm. So they brought me on, uh, on the vocal team. And I, and I realized then this really isn't that much different. The instrumentation is different. Yeah. So in a traditional worship service, you have, you know, piano organ driven, uh, you have a choir, like a, a, you know, hymnal and, and choir folder choir. And, um, 
and so, sometimes you have an orchestra, sometimes you have uh, sometimes you have a, maybe a rhythm section, but it's not like what you think of in a contemporary service. Um, so, but yeah, it, it's just a, it's a very big extravagant. It's almost like a community all working together to make this thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about traditional worship um, is it allows for it allows for people that may not be really, 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 really good at something to still have a part in leadership. Mm-hmm. And contemporary worship, because the instrumentation is so small and because everybody that is singing usually is on mics, you there's a level of excellence that has to be present in all of those people, which may weed out other people's ability to be a part of leading in worship. Cause you may have an excellent worship leader that isn't necessarily the world's best singer. Mm-hmm. You uh, Like we, I've heard uh, one choir director called them crack fillers. Like they're, they may be able to sing with other people around them really well. But if you put them by themselves, they struggle. Mm-hmm. But you put them with two or three people around them singing the exact same part, man, they're killer singers. Mm-hmm. And and if they have a good heart, that, they may be a good worship leader. Yeah. So let's not weed that person out simply because they aren't they aren't the best with a microphone in their hand. Mm-hmm. So traditional worship allows for those kinds of people to participate. Um, and I think that's valuable. Um, so what ended up happening to is LaVon transitioned us over. And really 10, 15 years after that transition happened, Taylor's goes and adds a third worship style. Mm. So not only did we have traditional worship and then contemporary worship, which they ended up having a choir in contemporary worship, felt more like the Brooklyn tab thing mm-hmm. that you're talking about. Yeah. So traditional, I would call it uh, contemporary choir-driven worship, um, which is very Brooklyn tabby, um, Preston Wood Baptist Church, that kind of thing, Bradley Knight, all those arrangements. And then we added a modern worship service, which felt very much like... Um, Felt very much like what you would see at Passion City, mm-hmm. um, Elevation, Hillsong, Red Rocks. I mean, it, there was no choir. It was just a, a very small vocal team in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took a lot of transition. I had to, you had to, I mean, you're talking about 15, 15 years to get us to where we were to that point. But what we ended up seeing was we had kind of felt like we had three churches under one roof. Mm-hmm. And, um, and all of those churches, or all those bodies, I should say, um, it, it developed superiority complexes, I think, in mm-hmm. each one of them. Not like hateful superiority complexes, not like where people were just outright talking poorly about everybody all the time. But you could definitely see when you're like, hey, why don't you come to the traditional service with me this morning? Um, no, yeah. that kind of attitude. And... Um, it was just completely opposed to being a part of that. Yeah. So um, we it took a lot of transition, but what we found out is the, the hearts of people weren't changing. We were just compartmentalizing the different people so we wouldn't hear the complaining anymore. Yeah. Um, so in regard to the actual worship war itself, I think the war, like the fighting and bickering and yelling and screaming and churches being split and dying and all that kind of stuff... I think that probably happened more in the 90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Today, a lot of churches have done what Taylor's did and and what we do, where we have a traditional service and a contemporary service, and we've compartmentalized people mm-hmm. so that hopefully it 
it wasn't necessarily about them choosing to find the best in each other. We just put them in a situation where they don't have to deal with each other. Yeah. And there are perks to that. I think that there, there are some disadvantages to that too, because you can, you can lose the value in the other. Yeah. One thing that we get to do because we're in both services is we get to see the value of both. Yeah. Like there's some theology in the tradition, some of the traditional hymns that are just incredibly solid. Mm-hmm. And there's some theology in some of the traditional worship. It's not that it's not solid, but it's just kind of there. Meh, yeah. You know? And I, I wish I could copy and paste one into the other without being looked at funny. Like, why are you bringing that world in here? You know? Well, and I think it's a testament to tr- some traditional worship that contemporary worship is modifying some hymns to make them sound more contemporary so yep. they can bring them into their church without people even realizing it's a hymn. Right. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, I mean, it is well by Bethel. I yep. mean, when I say I'm sick and tired of singing that song, I've told Josh over and over again, I'm like, never make me sing that song because I sang it a bajillion times, technical term, bajillion times when I was in college. So it's just a joke, but that is a hymn that they modified. They kept the original contents of the hymn and added right. something to it. Um, and it's a really beautiful song. And that's just kind of one of many that yep. people have modified. What is it? Um, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. Yep. Exact Cornerstone. Same thing. I didn't even know that was a hymn. Yeah, my hope See? is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's a hymn. There you go. See? So it, it's a testament to the theology of some hymns and how they do you know, transcend the test of time. Right. Um, but on the flip side of the coin, there's some good things. There's some good things about um, the contemporary worship stuff that needs to be brought into the traditional world. Mm. This past Sunday, we did we did Cornerstone here at Spotswood, and um, and it was it's a it's a hymn, but it also has this chorus attached mm-hmm. to it um, that kind of helps the hymn not end really quickly. Mm-hmm. Like some of these hymns, the verses are 15 seconds long and then it slows down at the end of the verse and it's like, okay, let's start over the exact same melody that's 15 yep. seconds long. And it just doesn't carry a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't allow the congregant time to actually think about what they're singing. Right. So it doesn't like, so my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust on Jesus' name. And then you go, uh, then on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand, is what it would go into. Mm-hmm. Christ, but but what that what Hillsong is, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love, mm-hmm. right? It forces you to apply the, the overarching truth to what you just heard. Mm-hmm. It forces you to think. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's one thing that, that's a benefit that the contemporary world has brought into and brought to the table that the traditional world didn't didn't necessarily have all the time that should be taken seriously is it allows you to have that solo moment where you mm-hmm. can pause and really think about what you're singing um, as opposed to just, all right, let's move on to the next. Yeah. The next verse. All right, let's move on to the next verse. Well, mm-hmm. I, don't, I can't remember what I just sang. Yeah. Cornerstone allows you to think about what you just said. Yeah. So anyway, um, Totally rattling. So what does the contemporary and traditional worship world look like or looked like? 
I think that the war itself of churches being divided and conquered over this thing is over in some ways, but I think there are little skirmishes now. Whenever you had a war in the past, just because you know somebody stood up and waved the white flag doesn't mean that the war, like the all the little skirmishes, were going to yeah. stop. That just means that the main battlefield it's over, people moving away. But what about the p- places that weren't the main battlefield and it took them months, years to get the notice to them? You know, yeah. Um, I think we're still having that, um, and that's what this segment is really all about in the coming weeks um, and the coming episodes. So you're going to get, with this first worship war, worship war one, contemporary versus traditional, you're going to get the good, bad, and ugly of contemporary worship. You're going to get the good, bad, and ugly of traditional worship. And then how do we move away from this Mm -hmm. war? Because God doesn't want us to be divided over, over worship music style. Does God have an opinion about it? Absolutely he does. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't want us to be divided by it. He wants us to be united in the cross of Christ. Yeah. So coming up, you're going to get some of that. Um, so be on the lookout for the next podcast about what we're about those topics. Now, going into the next se- the next segment, yay, nay, or pray. Everyone's favorite. Everybody's favorite. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised how many people have talked to me about this segment. Hey. Let's go. It's memorable. Yes. It's memorable. Well, and it's something that people always have questions about. Yes. And people think about the theology of worship music, whether they realize that that's what they're thinking about or not. So this one is a little bit of a tougher one. Yes. Um, I say that because it's a very popular song. In my opinion, it's a very good song. Yep. Um, but it is a little... People have questioned whether it should be done in a service or not. So, yes, Josh, yay nay or pray for the song Champion by Bethel Worship. All right. First, a little backstory, um, and we're coming up on, a, on our closing time. I know I won't go too long, Bailey. We've, we've discussed. <laughs> when I, I first heard the word, or when I first heard the song Champion by Bethel Worship, I was literally in tears when it was over because there was so much in it that was good or that is good. I should say is good, not was good. Um, so just to kind of read the lyrics off to you, I've tried so hard to see it. Took me so long to believe it that you'd choose someone like me to carry your victory. Perfection could never earn it. You give what you don't deserve and you take the broken things and raise them to glory. You are my champion. Giants fall when you stand. And then it declares you're undefeated every battle you've won. Nothing wrong with that truth. Mm-hmm. I am who you say I am. You crown me with confidence. That's something I've never, literally never thought about before, that God crowns us with confidence through mm-hmm. his, through the victory in yeah. the cross, right? I am seated in the heavenly place undefeated with the one who has conquered it all. Um, all things that Jesus promised us. Um, where I, so I started listening to the song over and over and over again. And I mean, literally, I, I would listen to it multiple times a day. And then finally, the Holy Spirit just kind of pricked my heart when it came when it got to the verse and um, or excuse me, the, the bridge and the bridge, although theologically, I don't think it's incorrect. Yeah. My problem with the bridge is the inflection and the tone and the focus, the way that it's sung. 
when I lift my voice and shout, every wall comes crashing down. I have the authority Jesus has given me. Now, if it was sung the way that I just said it, and the emphasis was put on Jesus has given Mm -hmm. this to us, I would be more for it. Mm -hmm. But my struggle is when it's sung, the emphasis is on I have the authority. Right. And then it's like, oh, by the way, Jesus gave it to me. Yeah. I have the authority Jesus has given me. Yeah. And literally, like, when they sing it, they almost back off of the mic. Now, I know this is totally picky. So nit, Yeah, it's we very, realize it's very nitpicky. It's very nitpicky. But the reason I think that it's important is because if somebody is not feel, like, if they are not a grounded Christian mm-hmm. and they don't know the verses that back this up, and all they hear is the emphasis is that I have this authority. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we run the danger of the people that were casting out de- demons in the name of Jesus, but didn't actually believe in him. Yeah. That they're just going to go out thinking that they can go do all these things in the name of Jesus, but they, they don't really know the Jesus that we're talking. They don't know yeah. that Jesus actually, he handed it to them. Just because you use Jesus's name doesn't necessarily mean that you follow him. Yeah. I mean, I can, you you can, I mean, just in the last year, we've seen how many people say things in Jesus' name. We're like, no, no, that's not, you can't say that in Jesus' name. And it actually be something that Jesus would agree with, mm-hmm. right? So I would say, I, I've actually changed my, my stance on this a little bit. For a while, it was a nay for me. Yeah. I think this song is definitely a pray. Yeah. And I think it is a song that you have to really know your congregation. Yeah. And whether they're mature enough to handle it or not. Yeah, because we've discussed it. I think it's a great song. It's a very catchy song. I know churches who have done this song, and they've received backlash from doing this song. Really? Yeah. Um, and worship leaders that I know, love, and trust who have chosen to do this song for their congregation. Sure. Now, do I think it's a song that we would ever do at Spotswood? Probably not. Um Granted, that's ultimately Josh's decision, but when it comes down to it, we've had a lot of conversation about it, and it's one of those things where we feel so confident singing this song to ourselves in the car. Absolutely. Um, Or, you know, if me, Josh, and his wife Hannah are all hanging out and this song is playing, we're probably going to sing along to it. Absolutely. Because we know what backs this up. We know that Jesus has given and shared his authority with us as believers because of the resurrection power. Um, so we get that, but just going back to what we were talking about with contemporary worship music and how a lot of it was ultimately created to invite non-believers in. Um, and a lot of, it serves the purpose of like missional living and missional worship. Mm. This song is hard for me to justify when it comes to missional worship and inviting non-believers in just because it, the theology is so thick, right? Like, it is very thick with things that need justification from the Bible. And if you don't have someone going through this song with you and explaining word for word, it's really hard to catch that. Absolutely. And and that's not to say, like, I don't think whoever wrote this, I think, did Dante, did Dante actually write this? Um, I couldn't tell you. Uh, songwriters, uh, Stephanie, yeah, Stephanie Gretzinger, Gretzinger and- uh, Brandon Lake, Dante Bowie, yeah. Tony Brown, um, Jay Jonathan Edward, or Jonathan Edward Jay, I think is what it is. Um, this is not me questioning their salvation. This mm. is not me questioning whether they're good worship leaders. This is not any of that kind of stuff. Like I said, when I heard this the first time, I was sitting there in tears. Yeah. 
I, I agree with what's being sung. I just have to say that I think wisdom as a worship leader should take over in actually listening to everything, even the inflection yeah. in which the song is sung, to know whether your church is mature enough to handle it. Well, yeah, and we're not just singers. We're also musicians. Right. And our, a lot of what we know in our knowledge is based out of how things are composed. Well, a lot of the orchestration of this gives emphasis to the I, not to the he, or not to the Jesus. Right. Um, and to be nitpicky is our kind of our job. Right. <laughs> so um, ultimately, we decided this is a pray. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- almost wish the lyric was, Jesus has shared with me his authority. Yeah. Like, I wish that was the that lyric. We would, that it would put the emphasis on Jesus. his authority yeah. as opposed to, yeah. Yeah. But I'm not Stephanie Gretzinger. Right. Or sometimes I wish I were. Yes. She's um, awesome. <laughs> Brandon Lake, awesome. Dante Bowie, awesome. If you're Bo, ever listening Bowie, to this, yeah. we love you. <laughs> yes, you probably could not care less about what we think. No. But I want you to know that we absolutely love what you guys do. But um, anyway, so pray on that. Um, so just to kind of wrap this up, we want to hear your questions. So ask and connect with us. Connect with us on social media at Spotswood Creative. Uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, if you have any questions that you don't want to go on our, you know, you don't want to put it on social media, send us an email at Spotswood Creative at Spotswood.org. Be sure that you rate the podcast and you share it. And we will be back in a couple weeks to talk more, uh, talk more about stuff that matters. And I guess in the meantime, Bailey. Keep it 100. Keep it 100.